We're going to continue on with our look at chapter uh, or uh, Genesis, the book of Genesis. Have you been enjoying going through Genesis? I've got to tell you, it's one of my favorite parts of the Bible to study. And uh, I was actually thinking this. I was kind of, you're going to maybe laugh at me. I was kind of bummed the other day. I'm looking at the book of Genesis, and as we get into the book more, we begin to take bigger chunks of it because we do kind of character studies. And um, I'm like, Lord, we're already like a good way through this thing. I'm kind of sad that the, I can, I can, in my mind, the end is coming. You know, I know we've got, we got a lot of chapters to go yet, but uh, most of it's in the beginning. And I'm like, Lord, I just love looking at Genesis. And today we're going to look at chapter 14 of the book of Genesis. And you can turn there if you want. Who brought your Bibles today? Hold them things up for me. Bring your Bible to church. Genesis, bring your Bible everywhere. Genesis chapter 14, we'll get there in a minute. And in this story, you're going to say, why in the world are we going to look at this? And I'll, I'll explain why. Genesis chapter 14 is a story about war. Um, in this story, if we were to read the whole thing, it's a story about four kings, as the way he describes it, four kings going to war against five kings. And um, the four kings in the process of this war end up defeating the five kings, and they set the five kings running, and then the five kings and their, and their armies fleeing. And then what it says, the four kings come and they begin to plunder the possessions of the five kings and carry away their possessions and their women and their children. And among the things that they carry away in the city of Sodom was one of the defeated cities. They carry away who lived in Sodom? Lot, Abraham's, Abram's nephew. They carry him and his possessions away. So Abram, this man of God that we've been looking at a lot for the last number of weeks, hears of it. Actually, somebody comes and tells them, hey, they just they captured your nephew. And he takes his, his men, he rallies his men together, and they um, go after him. This is where we want to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 14. We're going to look at just two verses of it. Genesis, I should have turned to what else is talking. 14. Verses 14 through 16. It says, When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he led out his trained men, born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and he defeated them, and he pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods, and he also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions, and also the women and the people. Now, I like this little something funny that I shouldn't even probably point out, but I think it's hilarious that it says that they brought back his possessions and also the women and the people. <laughs> you you think about that one, ladies. I, I don't want to comment on it. But they brought back the women and the people. And so it just shows you that you're lucky to live in America today. Um, you understand how that's saying that there? Um, it's a little, they didn't value ladies very much in those days. I'm glad that we do. Amen, men? Amen. So a double amen, I heard that, good. Well, why would I read this story today? I want to use this story, I really believe the Lord wants us to think about something today, use this story as a springboard um, for talking about a spiritual truth that I absolutely believe is critical for the church of Jesus Christ at this time in this culture. I think it is critical for this particular church um, in its history. 
um, and something that I think God really wants to, to, to maybe illuminate to us, that maybe something's going to seem a little different than what you've thought of in the past. In this story, we find Abram, this man of God, acting in a particular way. He acts in what I would like to call an offensive way, not off, not offensive, not like he offended people, but offensive, like in the terms of a sporting event. He was offensive in his, in his manner instead of being defensive. Lot is captured, and Abraham, or Abram here, his name doesn't change it, rallies his 318 men together, so that were born in his house, they're, they're his servants, and he chases after the enemy, and he attacks them, and he defeats them, and he takes back from them what the enemy had stolen from the four, from the four kings, or the five kings. Now you say, what's that got to do with us? Here is what I believe God's, God wants us to learn from the experience that Abram had um, at this juncture in his life, and it's this, that we, the church of Jesus Christ, are to be offensive in our struggle with Satan, taking back what the enemy has stolen from us, which is the souls of men. Hear that today. That's what I want you to get today, that the church of Jesus Christ, us, we are to be offensive in our struggle with Satan, and we should be aggressively taking back what the enemy has stole, and that is the souls of man. However, friends, I think that for the most part, we assume a defensive posture in our life as Christians, and a defensive posture, especially in this idea of, of battle. And let me illustrate how I think it. Who knows who Martin Luther is? Is he a good man? He's a great man. Um, one of the pillars of, of Christian history. He wrote a wonderful old hymn that some of you like to sing, and I like to sing, called A Mighty Fortress. I want you to hear the words to one of the first verse here of, of A Mighty Fortress. I want you to listen to what it says. I would sing it for you, but that wouldn't be good. I did toy with singing it again, and every time I toy with singing something to you, I chicken out. Um, it says this. Suzanne always wants, she waits to see if I'm going to do it because I'll tell her, I'm going to sing this first. And every time she said, I knew I could tell, you got nervous beforehand because I'm not a singer. Here's what it says in a mighty fortress. It says, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Let me ask you an honest question. Singing that song or listening to the words, does that make you feel offensive or defensive? I'll answer for you. I believe it makes us defensive, makes us feel defensive. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark, which is an embankment, a stronghold, never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. He's standing us up against the flood. For still our ancient foe, the devil, does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and he's armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. But a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. We can stand up against that assault of this one on earth who does not have an equal, whose craft and power are great, and he's armed with cruel hate. And he does seek to work us well. I think when I read that and sing that, it's defensive. He's a mighty fortress. He's built up walls around us. 
And if I were to ask you, who is attacking whom in the battle, this cosmic battle that exists between the children of God and Satan, what I think people would most likely say, along with Martin Luther in this song, would be that Satan is attacking the believer. That he's on the offensive and we are on the defensive. That he tempts, he tricks, he lies, he attacks, and we stand behind the fortress and we kind of hide behind it. Well, I have one main objective to try to accomplish today, and that's to challenge that thinking. Because I think until that thinking is challenging us, a church can never become, and a Christian can never become what God intends for them to become. My hope today is to get us to realize and to operate in line with what I believe Scripture honestly teaches about who's on the offensive and who's on the defensive. And it will show us that we are to be conquering people, that we are to be offensive in our attack against Satan, that Satan is the one who needs to be defensive, and that we are to be like Abram. We're to rally our troops and say, come on, boys. Come on, we can win this battle. We can take back what the enemy has stolen from us. So let's answer a few questions as we think about this today. First question is this. Who has been in control of this world since the fall of Adam and Eve? Who's been in control of this world? Who's the prince of this world? Satan is. Let's get this straight right out of the chute. Satan is in control of the world. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm just going to kind of state it as, as fact in passing in this verse. There's many verses we could go to, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The Apostle Paul talking about the effectiveness or, or, or hindered effectiveness of the preaching of the gospel. And he says in chapter 4, verse 4, in whose case, talking about the gospel being veiled, people can't see it if they're perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The Apostle Paul just simply states that Satan is the God of this world and he blinds the minds of people and he blinds their eyes so they don't believe the good news of the gospel message and are not able to receive it. It's as if the enemy is going to put a veil over their face because he's the God of this world. This world is Satan's kingdom. You say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, friends, guess what? Walk out of here and just take an honest look around. You look at what the world holds, it's not, we're not in heaven today. I don't know what, what you came out of, but I'm not in heaven in my, in my workaday, honest, everyday world. This is, a, this is the Satan of kingdom. His handiwork is everywhere. Violence, lusts, lying, cheating, deceiving, stealing, anything that you can attribute to Satan is everywhere. This is Satan's handiwork because this is the place that he rules and reigns. So you say, okay, well... You're not convincing me I should be offensive. Let's think of the second question. second question is this. What was Jesus' main message that he preached while he preached? Remember our example. Jesus came to this earth. He understood the world had been given over to Satan for a, temp, for a, for a time. What was his main message that he preached when he came? Turn your book, your, your Bibles to chapter 1 of Mark. Mark chapter 1. You could go multiple places to find this exact same comments. Chapter 1 of Mark. 
Listen to this, what it says, that Jesus came to preach. Remember, Satan's, this is his world. Mankind kind of gave it up because they chose to rebel against God. And so God said, okay, now Satan, you tricked them. Now you're, for a, for a period of time, you're the ruler. But Jesus comes on the scene. What's Jesus begin to preach? Look at chapter 1 of Mark, verses 14 and 15. It says, now after John, John the Baptist, had been taken into custody... Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Now, whenever I see something like that, I stop. And I go, now, it's going to say, it's going to come up and say, what did he preach? I want to know what Jesus preached. Don't you? I want to make sure I'm preaching the same thing that Jesus is preaching. I want to make sure you're believing the same thing that Jesus preached. Because I don't care what somebody else, at our prayer retreat, Pastor, Pastor Pete gave us a quote. I'm going to probably talk about it next week. I was going to mention it this morning, but it just, time got away, um, about from some Jesuit priest. And I said to Pastor Peter at the end, I said, I don't care what some Jesuit priest has to say, even though this was a godly man who had great credentials and he really served the Lord. I said, I want to know what the word has to say. You know, isn't that what we want? You know, I don't even want you to care what I say if I say something contrary to what this book says. And so when it says here, now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. And look at that, verse 15. And saying, this is what Jesus preached. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus preached one primary message. The time is fulfilled. So he's saying, this is the time. I'm on earth now. The kingdom of God is at hand. So he's saying, now my kingdom's coming. Repent and believe the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that the kingdom of God is here. The king, sometimes you say the kingdom of God is near. Here's where the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus led the kingdom of God as this invading force against the established kingdom of Satan. Jesus came onto the scene to invade and defeat Satan's kingdom. Think about this with me. That, that, that's, that's true. When Jesus was on earth and he ministered, and it, when he would cast out demons, which is normally he would do, he would preach the kingdom of God, and then he would cast out demons and heal the sick. That was Jesus' extent of his ministry, right? That's what he really did. When Jesus cast out demons, he was revealing something on purpose. He was revealing that his kingdom was stronger than Satan's kingdom, and that he was now on the offensive. That Satan had people bound and controlled, and he came on the scene and said, but now I'm coming to break that control. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, it says this, but if I am casting out, Jesus talking, but if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. He said, that's the proof the kingdom is here. My kingdom is stronger than the established kingdom. Friends, understand something. When Jesus came to this world, he came to triumph over the devil. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. I am purpose today I'm just basically waving together a whole bunch of scriptures for you. So that when you, if some of you in your mind have maybe established, in your, you maybe you taught or you just have established this very defensive posture in your Christianity, and it's like Martin Luther, and I'm not saying that he was wrong in all aspects of this, but if that's been your whole world set, mindset, and I'm trying to break it today, I want to break it by not just saying, well, I'm telling you to break it. I'm just basically weaving together a whole bunch of scriptures that you can say, well, man, I, I can't argue with God on this one. So Luke chapter 4, Jesus came 
to triumph over the devil. He came to invade and to bring his kingdom against Satan's established kingdom. And in chapter 4, what we find is Jesus stands up in a, in a temple one day, and, he be, and they read the prophet Isaiah, and he stands up and he says basically this, this is fulfilled in me. He begins to say that what Isaiah said was going to happen is now happening in me. And look at what he says. It says the verse 17, the book of the prophet Isaiah was handled to him. And he opened the book, and he found the place where it was written. And it says this from Isaiah. Chapter 18, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus is telling what his ministry was all about on earth. And what's it say he came to do? He came to release the captives. He came to set free those who were held down, who were downtrodden. Jesus came as an offensive one. He came to attack Satan's strongholds and to set people free. Now, friends, we need to understand the big picture. That's what Matthew is all about, or Genesis is all about. It's about painting this big picture for us. And in the big picture, we find out that God, what? In the very beginning, he created man to be in relationship with him. But man chose to sin and chose to align themselves with Satan, and, and Satan then becomes the God of this world. But Jesus says, now the time is fulfilled, and he comes in fulfillment of Scripture, and he came to break Satan's control and to set people free from the grip of Satan, God's kingdom invading Satan's territory. Friends, invading and destroying Satan's kingdom has been the work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit um, through his church ever since the first day Jesus came and said, this is why I'm here. And let me give you an example from Scripture. Do you remember the story in Scripture where Jesus is in his ministry time and, and he sends out, one time he sends out his 12 disciples to do ministry and another time he sends out his 70 to do ministry. Remember that story? He sends a 70 out to do ministry. It's recorded in the book of, of Luke, chapter 10. You can read it later. And when he sends a 70 out to do ministry, they go out, they do ministry, and they come back. And remember what it says? It says that they were absolutely amazed and joy-filled. This is why they said they were joy-filled. Because even the demons were subject to them in Christ's name. In other words, their kingdom of Jesus was winning over Satan's kingdom that it had people held in bondage. And what does Jesus say to them? about this. Now, one thing he says is don't get excited about that. Be excited your name's written in the book. But he says something before that that's vital to this to this understanding. He says, yeah, I know. I know even the, the demons were subject to you. And he says this in, in Luke ten eighteen. He says, because I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He said, you're right. You are casting out demons. And when you were doing that, he says, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. In other words, Satan's kingdom was crumbling in the face of God's invading church, God's invading kingdom. Friends, Satan has taken possession of the people of this world, and it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to be offensive and take them back. That's why I believe next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, you need to be here in prayer. Because one of the areas of prayer we're going to pray about is praying for your lost friends and your lost relatives. And I believe that's a, a component to, 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 to uh, winning people is praying and breaking the strongholds first. Church, for far too long, the church has set back and has feared Satan 
and is worried about how to resist his attack. And I just want to tell you, I believe that is backwards. Satan needs to fear the spirit-filled believer. We need to be invading his territory and taking back the souls of men and women that he has take claim to, but he does not have claim to anymore. And I want to challenge you, friends, you need to stop fearing Satan if you fear him. Some people have this mad attitude that, oh, if I press too far, Satan's going to come after me. I've never been afraid of Satan. You know why? Not because I'm, you know, King Kong, but because God's word tells me not to. You know what it says in the Gospel of John, why I shouldn't fear Satan? In John chapter 12, verse 31, it says, The time of judgment for the world has come. The prince of this world is whom? Satan. He will be cast out. It says he's cast out and he's fleeing. In John 16, 11, he says this, Judgment will come because the prince of this world has already been judged. You don't have to wonder if he's going to be judged. He's already been judged. Remember a song that was out a while ago, and I just thought as I'm preaching. A song uh, by Carmen, probably back in the 80s. Anybody remember Carmen? Some of you don't know who a, who a cobbler was. You remember last week what Car, who Carmen is? Carmen was a Christian singer, and he sang, sang a song about a fight, about a boxing match. What was, that, what was in that match? Um, I, the champion. And the thing I'm remembering right now is in that, in that song, Satan and Jesus are fighting, and Satan knocks out Jesus. And he's like, ah, I'm happy, it's over, and the demons are screeching. And all of a sudden, they start counting backwards. Remember that song? Instead of one, two, three, four, five, six, ten, nine, eight, seven, gets to one, and oh no, he's alive, and it's about the resurrection, and he comes up. He won. Jesus is the one who won, and the sentence is already laid. We don't need to be afraid of the judgments already been passed. Jesus won the battle, and he's gone, and he's already defeated Satan. He's just not displaced yet. That's what this time of the church is all about. It's about displacing him from his rule and establishing the rule of Christ in our lives and in our land. That's why Jesus said, pray this way. Pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's about establishing his kingdom. He has won already, church, for too long. We sat back and we feared Satan, worried about him and his attacks. Resist, just thinking, well, if I can just resist his attacks, that is backwards, friend. Satan needs to fear hit the church. So we need, to, we need to understand that he has already been judged. Satan is already judged and condemned, and his sentence is already passed upon him, the Bible says. And guess what? He lost. In Ephesians chapter 6, and I know I'm pounding through verses today, but I want you to walk away saying, man, this is just simple gospel. Ephesians chapter 6 it tells us that we've been given what? The whole armor of God. I think we misunderstand the armor of God a lot of times. So we've been given the whole armor of God to be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We've been given the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit. And so often we have viewed this as just putting on this protective armor to defend ourselves against the onslaught of Satan. He's going to attack me. A bulwark never failing. I'm behind this protective coating, and he can't get at me now as long as I hide behind this shield. Well, friends, guess what? If you've looked at it that way, you've looked at it backwards. It's not so. See, the armor isn't defensive. It's offensive. It's meant to be protective, keeping us safe, as we invade Satan's kingdom, as we take his territory that he 
had laid claim to, but God says, now my kingdom is coming. We put on the armor of God, and we walk in there, and he shoots at us. His It says his fiery darts, and it says what? His fiery darts do no good. They fall to the ground. Why? Because we stand behind the shield of faith, as we are the ones that are advancing. In Matthew chapter 16, 18, Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Whose gates are being attacked here? I've listened to Christians forever say the gates of the church are being attacked and, and the mighty bulwark is our God, you know, and we'll stand. That's not what it says. It says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the kingdom of God. The gates that are being dis- attacked are Satan's gates. His kingdom that he's established for a temporary period of time are being attacked by the advancing kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't saying that the church will withstand Satan's attacks. Although that is true, you can trust God to take care of you. But this is saying that Satan's gates won't prevail or withstand the assault of the church, the offensive invading church. Friends, listen up today. Just, I'm going to speak just about me right now, and I hope it represents you. I am fed up with Satan winning in our community. I am fed up with Satan winning in our families. I'm fed up of seeing kids grow up and not serve God. I'm fed up with the fact that I look around and say, where are all the 20-somethings? And he's trying to say, are they even serving God? I'm fed up with seeing it. I'm fed up with, with people dying in spiritual blindness and going to hell. I'm tired of religious spirits lying to people and keeping them from really having and hearing and embracing the good news of the kingdom of God. And I would say this, friends, it's time for us to get offensive. It always has been time. We need to become the church that God has called us to be, empowered by his spirit and offensive. And you say, well, how do we do that? We just all get together Sunday night. We're going to hout and shoot and hout and shout. And look, that's what I'm trying to say. Shout and holler and, and uh, get excited. And that's going to scare the devil? Absolutely not. Hear this today. Here is the, here's the linchpin to the whole thing. Do you know how the, what the main way is to be offensive and defeat Satan? First part of it, it's through evangelism. The main way to destroy the kingdom of darkness is to light a light. It's to evangelize. And you say, well, what's that mean? It's a scary word. Matter of fact, I'm going to talk about evangelism in the next couple of weeks. I'm not even sure how many weeks yet, but I just felt when I got to this, I'm like, I can't let this go. i got to talk about this a few more weeks and, and, and help you understand that evangelism is not a scary word. Evangelize when you raise your kids for God. That's my first evangelism field, my boys. You evangelize when you live with, a, with an unsaved spouse and you endure and you live godly so that they can come know Jesus. You evangelize when you go to work. And it's not scary. You're not a Bible thumper. You're a light that's shining. We're going to talk about all that in the next coming weeks. The way to dispel the darkness is to light a light. We need Holy Spirit, supernatural signs and wonders type of evangelism that is partnered with the logical presentation of the gospel. Friend, you know why? Because Satan is defeated. You know how he's defeated? One soul at a time. One family at a time one city at a time. You know what I love seeing? One of my favorite things to see as a pastor of a church is when one person walks in, they're usually a stranger, and they come to Christ in the church. 
And next week they bring somebody with them, and that person comes to Christ. And a couple weeks later they bring somebody else, and that person comes to Christ. And this is what I'm saying inside my heart. You're thinking, you're saying, oh, the pews are getting full. That's not what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Because when pews get full, it means I've got to build buildings, and I hate building buildings, just so you know that. Um, what I'm saying is another family has been rescued. The kingdom of God is being established in that family, and that family is now going to become a kingdom of God place, and they're going to begin to influence other people, and Satan is losing again. That's what God wants us to understand in evangelism. It's not about getting notches on your Bible. It's about lighting lights in the darkness. And God would want to help us in the next couple of weeks understand how in the world do we do that, because I honestly don't think it's that tough. I really think there's some ways, there's some fears I can relieve in you that, that we've approached it off in the wrong way and it doesn't work. But there's some ways it does work. Friends, fate, Satan is defeated one soul at a time, one family at a time, one city at a time. And I'm looking forward to the day when when I walk down, I love to fish, and I walk down to that lake shore, and I never tell anybody my pastor, but I usually get into their lives and start talking about it in real life, and I invite them to church. Often, I invite them to church, and somehow they figure out that you're the pastor, you know. And then, you know what I'm looking forward to the day? They don't say, what church? Where? Is that a new one? I've never heard of that before. And I go, oh, I've been there for like 32 years, as long as you've been alive. I'm looking forward to the day they go, oh, that's the city on the hill. That's that place where, where people's lives are changed. That's that place where people bring their kids and they come to Christ. That's that place where people bring their neighbors and they get saved. I'm looking forward to that day. That's what God has called us to do, friends. Not hiding in a fortress until he returns, but bringing people to Jesus so they can be set free. That's what God wants for us. Do you believe that to be so? And would you stand with me this morning?